Welcome once again to the Daily in Christ podcast. I'm Mark Van Oos and so glad to be able to dig into the wonderful truths of God's Word together. We are in the midst of a powerful, powerful series called Hebrews, the glory of the new covenant. Now, folks, it's not powerful because of me. It's powerful because of the content from the word of God. It's sad in the church today that Hebrews is so rarely cited in many messages, let alone a pastor taking time to go through the book of Hebrews. It's sad in the church today that the subject of the new covenant You know, this covenant was established through the very blood of Jesus Christ, is rarely taught about in the church today. It's sad how the subject of biblical grace is rarely mentioned in the church today. Folks, we've got a really big problem here. These are critical things to the heart of God. These are at the heart of the reason why Jesus Christ did all he did in coming to earth and flesh and then living a perfect life and doing all his good works and then going all the way to the cross, the sacrifice, the blood, the obedience, the death, and then the resurrection. And so we have to be honest right up front with ourselves that the state of most of the at least American Christian church is in a pretty sickly state. And I think the reason why that is the case is because the emphasis is always on us. Instead of it being healthy Christianity, and we talked about this a little bit uh, a couple of lessons ago, you know, the difference between religion and real Christianity, so often religious Christianity is centered on us. And I don't know about you, but it doesn't take very long for me to get to the sort of the limit of myself. But the glorious truth of the new covenant, the glorious truth of grace, is the reality that it's already done. It's already complete. In 2004, I wrote this. It's called Already Done, The Secret of Our Life in Christ. It has to do with the tense we live in. There is so much that God has already accomplished in Christ. The devil wants us to think that these accomplishments by God, already done, must be achieved by us and arrived at some future time. When? Who knows? Just some vague time in the future, someday, never, now. This is not so. God has already done it, done, accomplished, and achieved by God's grace. What has God done When we turn from ourselves and receive Christ by faith, we receive all in Christ. Now, in this article, I cite Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, that says, Praise be or blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us, has blessed us in heavenly places with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Note what we have in Christ, every spiritual blessing. Note the tense. He has blessed us. Now, I want to use that thought right there that I wrote years ago in 2004 as the springboard of directing our attention and our mind, because the chief subject of the book of Hebrews is this. Jesus has done it all. He has accomplished all, and his work is finished. 
We have been in Hebrews chapter 3, and now today we're moving into Hebrews chapter 4. And the subject of God's finished work comes up over and over and over again. This is important to the heart of God, and that's why it's being repeated so many times. The subject of entering God's rest comes up repeatedly in these chapters in Hebrews chapter 3 through Hebrews chapter 4. This is something that is critical. It's one of those things, it's kind of like, stop the presses. We have got to pay close attention to this. This is critical. This is important. Now, friend, let me give you a little bit of a warning here. There's a tendency when we get into things like this to uh, sort of cause our brains to click into this mode that when exposed to this truth that, well, yeah, it's theologically correct, but it really doesn't work out in my everyday life. Don't go there. Don't fall for that. I want you to see that as much as Jesus gave all, bled all, died all, he gave his life for this stuff. That's how important it is. So we have got to fasten our attention upon the truth of the word. But dear friend, don't rely upon your human understanding to get it. I don't care how intelligent you think you are, or maybe not quite as intelligent. It's nothing compared to the infinite intelligence of Almighty God, the one who is omniscient, all-knowing. And so, dear friends, that's why we in humility need to turn to God, to turn to the Holy Spirit and ask for his help so that we may be able to see and grasp this truth, not just with human understanding, but enabled by God himself to get it. So let's pray right now with expectation. Father, thank you. Thank you for your heart of love toward us. You have loved us so much that you have given your son for us. Given and dying for us when we were still ungodly, while we were still sinners, you demonstrated your love. Thank you, Lord, for your heart of love. And Father, thank you that you don't leave us as orphans. You have sent the Holy Spirit. And Father, you have sent the Holy Spirit, among many other things, to bring illumination of the truth, to turn the light on so that we can see. And so, Father, as we get into this truth of your word, I pray that you, by the Holy Spirit, would reveal Christ in a deeper, more profound way to our hearts and lives. Father, I pray that you would, by the Spirit, illuminate, turn the light on so that we may see. Thank you for that, Lord, and we look with expectation at what you will be showing us. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, the subject of rest keeps coming up over and over and over again in Hebrews chapter 4. And I want you to pay attention to that as I read through the whole chapter. Hebrews chapter 4, and I am reading from the New King James. Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear lest any of you seem to have come short of it. For indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them, but the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. 
For we who have believed do enter that rest. As he has said, so I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has spoken in a certain place of the seventh day in this way. And God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this place, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains that some must enter it, and those to whom it was first preached did not enter because of disobedience, again he designates a certain day, saying in David, Today, after such a long time as it has been said, Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, then he would not afterward have spoken of another day. There remains, therefore, a rest for the people of God. For he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. Let us, therefore, be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fail according to the same example of disobedience. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. There is Hebrews chapter 4. Now, did you hear it over and over and over again? The word rest comes up seven times in this one chapter. In fact, no other chapter in all of the Bible speaks of the rest. Now, what we're going to be doing, folks, is we're going to be, I'm going to be putting up some dots here. I want you to be patient through this process as we just walk through the the scriptures that are related, but I'm going to connect these dots and you will be blown away by what the dots reveal once it's joined together. I'll tell you what, I'm I'm so excited to get to that point, but I have to, just like the Spirit-inspired writer of Hebrews, point by point, make the points. Okay, let's look at verses 1 through 3 again. Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear lest any of you seem to have come short of it. For indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them, but the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. For we who have believed do enter that rest. As he has said, so I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Hebrews chapter 4 verses 1 through 3. All right, let's... uh, let's get the first point out. And before we do, I just want to say this. You will hear in the modern church today the subject of rest or Sabbath rest brought up. And that's a pretty good thing. 
The problem is, is that the focus seems to almost always be on our rest, on us resting. And what is it to rest? A uh, major Christian magazine had a review, uh, a reviewer's article that was posted, and uh, she shared five articles on the subject of the Sabbath rest that she thought were very helpful. There were books that were very helpful on that subject. And as I read through her article, I got the sense that the books that she was citing didn't get it. I was talking about particular day of rest. It was talking about how we relax or rejuvenate, but it seem to be clueless about what the Bible says here in Hebrews chapter 4 about this rest. And friends, the very first thing I want to point out that's radical is this is not speaking about your rest. Over and over and over again, both in Hebrews chapter 3 and Hebrews chapter 4, it says his rest, God's rest, God's rest. It is us entering into God's rest. Very first verse, therefore, holy brethren, partakers, I'm sorry, I need to get over to chapter four. Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, and it says, let us fear lest any of you come short of it, fall short of it. Now, I want you to see this, that, uh, God's rest is entered by means of the gospel combined with faith. And friends, remember what the gospel is. In Romans chapter 1, verse 17, the revelation of the gospel is expressed like this. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just will live by faith. And then, If you go over to Romans chapter 3, it talks about the fact of what Jesus Christ has done in being redemption and being propitiation and offering himself and believing upon him. In Acts chapter 20, verse 32, it says this, that the gospel of grace is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. So, It says, to fear lest any of you come short of it. Now, again, I want to bring up what I say a lot in this series. Context, context, context. Who is the book of Hebrews originally written for? Hebrews, Jews. It was a congregation of Jews. And there were three different types of people. There were those Jews who genuinely put their faith in Christ alone. They were genuinely saved, and they were suffering. They needed encouragement. In that Jewish congregation, there were also other Jews who had trusted in Christ alone, but they were immature. And so there are admonitions in the book of Hebrews addressed to them. And just like any other congregation, there was a third group of Jews, and they were those who were dabbling in Christianity, but not placing exclusive faith in Jesus Christ, which is the only kind of saving faith. And their condition was dire, fearful. And the stern warnings of Hebrews, including this one right here that says, let us fear lest any of you fall short of it, 
are applied to those people. It is an admonition, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, onto this great gospel of salvation. Now, I want you to notice something very important about those of us who have actually done that, have actually placed our exclusive faith by the grace of God in Jesus Christ. It says in verse 3, For we who have believed do enter that rest, as he has said, So I swore my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Now, have believed. It says, For we who have believed. That is in the Greek aorist tense. And the Greek aorist tense refers to an action that is done at one point in time, not a repeating action. It's what's called a puncticular tense. So it is an action that happens once, not repeated, once. So you could say, we have entered God's rest because we have believed. Now, friends, that is monumental. Take a moment just to absorb the truth. For we who have believed one point in time, what is that referencing to? Clearly, it is referencing that initial belief, that saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ that brought us into the new birth, into the Christian life in the first place. For we who have believed do enter that rest. We are in that rest. That's the first point I want to bring up, and this is a critical point. If you are born again by the grace of God, you have believed in Christ exclusively. You, this rest that is spoken of is not future tense. You have entered this rest. I talked a bit about this in the last a message. If you didn't get a chance to, to hear that, I encourage you to, to download it and listen to it. All right, let's, that's the first point we need to bring up. Okay, it says to enter that rest. Well, what rest is being referred to? Well, friends, it's God's rest. Okay, look at verse uh, 4. And, and Oh, let me finish verse 3. This is critical. It says, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world, verse 4, for he has spoken in a certain place of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. Now, what is that place where that is mentioned? Well, you go to the beginning of your Bible, and let's do that now together, to the book of Genesis and the account of creation. And at the end of the creation account... This would be in uh, Genesis chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Here we read, Thus the heavens and the earth and all the host of them were finished. And on the seventh day, God ended his work, which he, which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because in it he rested from all his work, which God had created and made. That's Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Now, four times in these three verses, we see clearly... In Genesis chapter 2, that God finished his work of creation, and thus he rested from all of his works. Do you see that? God did the work of creating, 
And when he completely finished it at the end of the sixth day, he rested. Now, there are two reasons that basic reasons why a person rests in, in my estimation. Reason number one is that a person rests because they are tired and they must recuperate. But that isn't applicable to God. I mean, God is omnipotent, all powerful, and he does not weary. He doesn't tire. Uh, as it says in Isaiah chapter 40, he is the everlasting God. So reason number one of why a person would rest is because they're tired and need to recuperate. Wrong answer. That is not applicable to God. Now, the second reason that I can see that a person would rest is that they have finished their work. How many of you have had uh, a house constructed? Well, when the house is done and finished competently, the workers are gone, right? They're done. They're finished. They are not doing any more work with your house. So the second reason why a person would rest is because they have finished their work. And dear friends, in Genesis chapter 2, and also we'll be seeing this in uh, the uh, situation of Joshua entering the promised land, and also what's referenced here in Hebrews chapter 3, and particularly chapter 4, what is spoken of about God's rest is linked to the fact that he has finished his work. So let's say it together. God rests because he has finished his work. That's incredibly important. That is unbelievably important. That is essential to understanding what is emphatically presented here in Hebrews chapter 4 about entering God's rest. You know, the word rest, going back to Hebrews chapter 4, is mentioned seven times in this one chapter. No other chapter in all the Bible has so many times that the word rest comes up. Now, six of the times that it's mentioned, it uses the same Greek word. And the seventh time, it uses a different word. And we'll get to that different word, that seventh instance in just a moment, a few minutes. But the six times that the Greek word uh, is used in Hebrews chapter 4 and translated rest is katapausis. And what that word means is the ceasing from labor and coming to a state of rest. Let me repeat it again. Ceasing from labor and coming to a state of rest. Now, the Septuagint is the Greek translation of the Old Testament. And the Septuagint in the book of Genesis uses in Genesis chapter 3, verses 2 and 3, and we read those verses just a little bit earlier, it uses the exact same Greek word, katapausis. Again, the Greek word meaning ceasing from labor, ceasing from work, coming to a state of rest. Okay? So those six times that there is a mentioning there in Hebrews chapter 4, the word rest is used the first six times. It is katapausis, ceasing from labor. All right? Now, we talked about the fact of why God would cease from labor, why he would cease from work. The reason is 
because he has finished his work. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 3 says his works have been finished since the foundation of the world. And then if we go over to Hebrews chapter 4 verse 4, it says, For he has spoken in a certain place of the seventh day, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. Okay, do you have this idea? This is a very critical point. Now, let me just pause right here. This is going to to move in a direction you may have never heard of before. But I want you to see very clearly that I am being very careful and very diligent to stick to the text, to stick to what the Bible means when it speaks about rest seven times in the book of Hebrews, when it talks about God's rest. So remember, what is being discussed here is not your rest. You are not being admoni- you are not being admonished to enter your rest. You are being admonished, if you are unsaved, to enter God's rest. Now, we just mentioned a moment ago, and we mentioned in the last lesson, that it's quite clear here in Hebrews chapter 4, we who have believed, that's the aorist tense, one point in time, action at one point in time, do enter that rest. We are in the rest, which is God's rest, which is God's finished work. May I say, what is the subject of the book of Hebrews at large? The finished work of Jesus Christ. When did he finish the work? 2,000 years ago. All right. Now, Hebrews chapter 4 brings together the idea of rest found in two key places in the Bible. Okay, we just mentioned one, Genesis chapter 2, the creation account, and then God resting from his finished work of creation. The second uh, place that it's significantly mentioned is Israel entering the promised land under Joshua's leadership. Let's let's take a, a little bit of time and let's uh, go back in history, if you will, in the Bible. And please don't regard this merely as a history lesson to stuff up in your in your brain with more knowledge. This has a vital meaning for us today. It helps us connect the dots of a powerful revelation in Hebrews chapter 4. So what I'd like you to do is uh, go in your Bible to the book of Joshua, the book of Joshua back in the Old Testament, and we're going to go to Joshua chapter 24. All right, Joshua chapter 24. We're going to begin reading in verse 2. Now, We've talked enough in this series about the fact that Israel under Moses, there were the 11 spies that went into the land. Nine came back with an evil report, a report of unbelief. The whole nation uh, went into unbelief and God didn't refused to let them go into the land of rest because of their unbelief. And again, that's referenced in Hebrews 3 and Hebrews chapter 4. Now, there were only two that did believe, Joshua and Caleb. And uh, when that generation that had disbelieved under Moses perished, Moses is very old. They come into the land. Joshua is the one who is raised up of the Lord to lead them into the land of promise. And they do. Now, Joshua is the Hebrew word that means God saves. 
God saves. Did you know that the name Jesus is the Greek form of the Hebrew name Joshua? Jesus means Joshua, which means God saves. All right, now we go over here to uh, Joshua chapter 24. At this point, uh, Israel has entered into the promised land. There's been the time of conquest under the uh, rule and the leadership of Joshua. Joshua is an old man. And uh, at this point, he is uh, speaking prophetically, speaking the words of God to the nation of Israel. This is in uh, Joshua chapter 24, uh, verses 2 through 13. And I want you to pay very, very close attention to the expression of these verses. And I want you to hear the voice of God speaking in the first person. And as you listen and take note of the numbers of times that the word I comes up, that's God speaking, I want you to remember simple matter of grammar. Remember the structure of a good sentence is subject, verb, and object. The subject is the actor who is performing the action on the object. And in these verses, God is the subject. He he is the one who is performing the action. He is doing the work ahead of time. And because of that, his people all the way from Abraham up until the time of Joshua have seen victory. They've entered into God's rest. Okay, beginning in verse 2, Joshua chapter 24, beginning in verse 2. And Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Your fathers, including Terah, the father of Abraham, and the father of Nahor, dwelt on the other side of the river in old times, and they served other gods. Then I, that's God speaking, took your father Abraham from the other side of the river, led him throughout the land of Canaan, and multiplied his descendants and gave him Isaac. Okay, so the first thing you see there is God is saying, I took your father, God did, from the other side of the river, that is in Babylon, the land of Ur, from a land, a pagan land, and the pagan worship of his father's household. God took him out of that. And then God says, I led Abraham throughout all the land of Canaan. That's the promised land. So we see God leading Abraham. Okay. And then he says, uh, I multiplied his descendants and gave him Isaac. So God gives to Abraham a child of promise. And to Isaac, I gave Jacob and Esau. Now it's interesting. It says here, Joshua 24, verse 4, to Esau, I gave the mountains of Seir to possess, but Jacob and his children went down to Egypt. So even to Esau, who failed miserably, God still gave graciously. He gave him the mountains of Seir to possess. Meanwhile, Jacob and his family ended up in Egypt. It was a place of destiny. Verse 5, the Lord continues to speak about what he did. Also, I sent Moses and Aaron, and I plagued Egypt according to what I did among them. Afterward, I brought you out. Then I brought your fathers out of Egypt, and you came to the sea, and the Egyptians pursued your fathers with chariots and horsemen to the sea. So now we see 
God continuing his work, right? God sent Moses and Aaron. He sent a prophet and a priest. God raised up his leaders, the prophet, the priest. Moses was sent by God to lead the exodus out of Egypt and bondage. God says, I plagued Egypt according to what I did among them. God was the one who had done that action. And then it says, afterwards, I brought you out. God the Father brought the Israelites out of Egypt, and then they came to the sea. So we come to the reading, and it says this, The Egyptians pursued your fathers with chariots and horsemen to the Red Sea, so they cried out to the Lord, and he put darkness between you and the Egyptians, brought the sea upon them and covered them, and your eyes saw what I did in Egypt. Then you dwelt in the wilderness a long time. So God continues to speak about what he did for his people. He put darkness between them and the Egyptians. You'll remember the pillar of cloud by day and pillar of fire at night. On one side, the Egyptian side, it was a hindering thing where they couldn't see, they were blinded. But on the other side, it lit the way for the people of God. God did that. God was the one who opened up the Red Sea and buried Pharaoh and his army in the sea. He did it. Meanwhile, remember what it says there in Exodus? God told Israel, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. That's in Exodus 14, 13. Now, even though that generation under Moses delivered amazingly by God from the strongest nation on earth, Pharaoh and the Egyptians, even though that generation clearly saw what God accomplished, they refused to enter into God's rest in the promised land. And so Joshua 24-7b says flatly, then you dwelled in the wilderness a long time. Notice who is the performer of the action in that verse. You dwelt. No longer was it God's doing, but their own. What a mess. They were trapped 40 years in the wilderness. Indeed, that was a long period of time. You see what our actions do? It creates a mess. You know, that generation was sort of stuck in, uh, they were the Twilight Zone generation. Remember that old show from the 50s? Maybe you've seen uh, those old shows through uh, DVDs or maybe on the internet. You know, someone through some foolishness ends up being caught forever in the twilight zone. Well, that generation under Moses was that they did not go into the promised land. But God continued to act on the nation's behalf. Verse uh, Joshua 24, verse 8 says this, And I brought you into the land of the Amorites, who dwelt on the other side of the Jordan, and they fought with you. But I gave them into your hand that you might possess their land, and I destroyed them from before you. So God continues to do his definitive action, right? And it was God himself who brought them into the land of the Amorites. God was the one who brought that next generation out of the wilderness and into the promised land. And then it says, and then they fought you, but I gave them into your hand that you might possess their land and I destroyed them from before you. So God himself gave the enemies into their hand. Not only that, he destroyed them so that Israel would possess their land. 
Now there's another incident of note that's brought up in the history of Israel at this point, the issue of Balak and Balaam. Joshua 24, verse 9, Then Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, arose to make war against Israel and sent and called Balaam, the son of Beor, to curse you. God is speaking and says, But I would not listen to Balaam. Therefore, he continued to bless you. So I delivered you out of his hand. So in this particular situation, God is the one who would not listen to Balaam. Balaam blessed Israel, even though he was hired by Balak to curse them. God delivered them out of the hand of the Moabites. The enemy rose up to curse and conquer Israel. God himself acted turn things around. Balaam, the hired curse uh, hitman, could only bless Israel, and so they were delivered out of the hand of the enemy by God himself. And God continues speaking prophetically through Joshua in Joshua 24. He says this in verse 11, Then you went over the Jordan and came to Jericho, and the men of Jericho fought against you. Also the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites but I delivered them into your hand. Every nation that was settled into the promised land, God gave them over to them. That was how he acted. He said, I delivered them into your hand. God delivered Israel from all the enemies in the land. He gave them into their hand in winner-takes-all fashion. Then the Lord continues and he says this, I sent, verse 12, the hornet before you, which drove them out from before you, also the two kings of the Amorites, but not with your sword or with your bow. So God even sent the hornet to chase after them, to drive them, drive the enemy out of the land. Israel didn't have to raise their sword or bow against their enemy. It was God himself who drove them out of the land. Now, check this out in Joshua chapter 24, uh, verse 13. God says, I have given you a land for which you did not labor and cities which you did not build and you dwell in them. You eat of the vineyards and olive groves which you did not plant. Wow. So... God gave them land, and they didn't have to lift a finger. God labored for it, not them. God gave the land to them. And God gave to them cities that they didn't even lift a finger to build, and they just dwell in them. They now have places to live, which they did not build. And God says, you eat of vineyards and olive groves, which you did not plant. So now they didn't lift a finger again. How much work did God do? He did it all. How much work did they do? They did none. And yet they now enjoy the fruit of the land, even though they did nothing to make it possible. So there you have it in Joshua chapter 24. Over and over again, God says, I did it. I did it. I labored and you didn't. God did all the advance work, not they. And it is this very thing that is called God's rest. And remember the dot that we just put up a little bit earlier. Why would the eternal, uh, omnipotent God rest? Well, he rests because he is finished with his work. So what was the success of Israel? 
under Joshua, the one whose name means God saves, their success wasn't because they lifted a finger to do any of the work. God did all the work. He finished it even before they set foot in those different places in the promised land. That is the second picture of God's rest that is referenced here in Genesis chapter, I mean, Hebrews chapter four. The first picture is God in creation, Genesis chapter two, finishing all the work and resting on the seventh day. Why? Because he finished the work. And then there is the Joshua generation and they enter and into the promised land and settle into the promised land, they are thus entering God's rest. Why is God resting? Because he did all those things that we just talked about and are mentioned in Joshua chapter 24. Are you starting to see this? Are you starting to understand about the reason why there's rest that is mentioned in Hebrews chapter 4 is because it's entering into God's rest. And that rest means ceasing from work, ceasing from labor. And then I get back to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 3, that makes the stunning declaration, raises up the stunning truth. And let me get back over to Hebrews chapter 4. I'm sure you're doing the same thing. And it says, For we who have believed, remember, that is, aorist tense, done once, never to be repeated again. That's speaking of that initial belief on Christ into salvation. We who have believed do enter that rest. Well, I need to stop right now because uh, the clock is running out. We're going to pick it up from there. And we've talked about the rest that is mentioned the first six times in the book of Hebrews chapter 4. But there is a seventh instance where the word rest comes up in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 9 that says, There remains therefore a rest for the people of God. For he who has entered his rest has also ceased from his works as God did from his. There in verse 9, it speaks of a different word. You will be really surprised at what that word is and what that word means. Be sure to join us next time for Daily in Christ. Let's pray. Father, again, I know that this is truth that is powerful truth from your word, straight from your word. I know for many of us in our listening company today, this is the first time they're hearing this and really beginning to understand. In some senses, there are some that are listening among us that are struggling with this. They're trying to, to grab a hold of it. But Father, again, we refuse to grasp this with our own human understanding. And Lord, we make the choice to trust you, Holy Spirit, to bring the illumination and the understanding to us. And we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.